It's interesting because as you look at the story that I already read about the church starting and the spirit falling, and you say, well, you know, what's the meaning of that? And, and why should we even celebrate church? A lot of people just think that, that the reason that we should celebrate church and the importance of church in general is simply recreation. You think, well, that can't be true. I mean, nobody out there would be so dumb as to think that church is about, you know, fun and games, that church is an activity center. Well, I'd like to give you some statistics, just a few of them. In Wilsonville, 40% of people think that the most important, most significant aspect of church is the recreation that it provides. Four out of ten people. And, and these types of recreation in the study included things like sports and camping and social gatherings. In Sherwood, for those of you from there that think, oh, those loser Wilsonville people, uh, the same percentage, 40%. In Tualatin, where you currently sit, it goes up just a little bit to 42%. Now, I don't want you to minimize this, right? I mean, four out of ten people think that the most important aspect of a church, the most important aspect of a church, is the fun things that it provides for the community and really for them as individuals. Four out of ten people. That's pretty crazy, right? And, and we look at that and it's kind of staggering. And you have to think that the other six people probably don't have the right answer either. And they probably think some things that are probably not very accurate. They might think that it's, you know, something to do in the course of a week. It's a great tradition, things like that. And so we're talking a really high percentage of people minimize church to being something that is, is simply just another organization that provides a few benefits. But I think when we look at the Bible, it tells us that the church is far more than that. It shows us that the importance of church is far greater than a, a social club or an activity center. And, and I think in the passage of Scripture that, that tells us about the beginning of church, Acts 2, 1 through 13, that we already read, I think that it shows us why church is important. And so today, instead of a sermon that says, look, celebrate the church, celebrate the church, celebrate the church, what I want to do for us is to really provide a framework for why we should celebrate the coming of the church into the world and into our lives. Acts 2.1 begins by saying, when the day of Pentecost came. And it's interesting because in the Greek construction, the verbiage is a little bit awkward and and Luke wrote the book of Acts. I'm not sure if you're aware of that or not. And Luke was a doctor. And, and when you read the book of Luke and the book of Acts, they're very well written, very good grammar. Uh, there is big words that a lot of other biblical writers don't use in the New Testament. And, and so Luke has a, a really good proficiency level in, in his language, Greek. But here he uses like a funny, funny kind of statement. And, and here's what seems to be the emphasis. I want you to know that this happened, what I'm about to tell you, on the day of Pentecost. He's trying to make it clear to us that it happened on Pentecost. So, okay, what's the big deal? Sure, Luke thinks that all of this story with the fire and the tongues, it all happened on Pentecost, but why is that important? Well, in order to understand that, you have to understand Pentecost. And it comes from a Greek word meaning 50, and uh, that's not a big deal except for when you put it in connection to 50 what? And it's, it's 50 days after when the Jewish people celebrated the holiday of Passover, okay? Now, what's the big deal there? What's Passover? That would be the logical question, right? Passover w was a Jewish festival when they celebrated their release from slavery from the Egyptian people. 
thousands of years before the book of Acts is written. So if you don't know the story, let me just, let me just give you a, a little bit of it. The Jewish people had gone to Egypt and, and they had a good relationship with the Egyptians when, when there was one leader of the Egyptians. But as time goes on, that relationship changes and instead of a good relationship, the Egyptian people put the Jewish people into slavery. And so they're living under slavery and oppression with the Egyptians leading over them with an iron fist for a long, long time until one day God says, hey, you need to let my people go. And so God brings these miracles and these signs and these wonders in order to show the Egyptian king that he must let his people go. The Egyptian king, Pharaoh, doesn't allow for that to happen. Keeps saying, no, 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 it's not going to happen. Sure, maybe, no, it's not going to happen. And keeps flip-flopping. Until one day God says, here's the last thing I'm going to do. I'm going to kill every firstborn male in all of Egypt unless there's the blood of a lamb over the entrance to the home of that male. And so God does that, but the Jewish people know about it, and so they, they put the blood of the lamb up, and the, the, their sons are saved. But the Egyptians' firstborn children, all of them, firstborn male, die on that day, and Pharaoh says, you can go. And then he flip-flops again and chases them out into the wilderness, but God parts the Red Sea. You may have seen it on the Prince of Egypt, great movie. And the Jewish people walk right through, and it collapses in on the Egyptian army. And that day symbolizes the freedom for the Jewish people. And so immediately God says, even before he does this actually, God says, hey, I want you to have a meal every year to celebrate what I am about to do for you and I want you to remember this act forevermore, that I released you from slavery to the Egyptian people. And so the Jewish people do that for thousands of years and they continue to do that to this day. And so, so 50 days after that, is the celebration of Pentecost. And God instituted this for the Jewish people. He said, hey, 50 days after you celebrate Passover, I want you to celebrate another holiday. It's called Shavuot, and if you're speaking Hebrew, but if you're speaking Greek, it's called Pentecost. And on that holiday, what I want you to do is celebrate the first fruits of the harvest every single year. It's really a remembrance of the fact that God provides the food from the harvest for the people to continue to have life. And so God says, I want you to celebrate that. You can read about it in Exodus 34:22. He says, celebrate the festival of weeks, which is another name for it, with the first fruits of the wheat harvest. And so they're supposed to do this every year. Are you with me? It's a little bit of a history lesson here. Stay with me. It's, it's going to be really good. I promise. And so, so the Jewish people celebrated this every year. Now, from the time that God instituted in the book of Exodus to the time that, that we read about in the book of Acts, the holiday took on even more meaning for the Jewish people. You see, once the Jewish people went out into the wilderness after Passover, they wandered around for about 50 days, kind of directionless. God was, God was showing them kind of where to go in a cloud and a fire, but, but they kind of just were wandering around going, what's the next step? We're free, but now we're out here in the middle of the wilderness without any type of plan. And so after about 50 days, God shows up to them in fire on a mountain. You can read about this in Exodus 19. And as time went on, the Jewish people started to celebrate Pentecost with connection to God showing up in fire on the mountain. And so let me tell you the story of what happens in Exodus 19 since that's really what's being celebrated on Pentecost for these people. They're wandering around directionless. 
And God says to Moses, their leader, Hey, I want to make you a holy nation. I want to make you my treasured possession. And so he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show up on a mountain in a cloud and I'm going to give you some commandments and I'm going to make my presence known to you. And here's the preparations that your people need to make before that happens. And so the people willingly, they've they've seen the power of God and they willingly say, okay, we'll make those preparations. And then God shows up in fire on this mountain. Jewish people are so scared that that, that they say, hey, Moses, we don't want to hear it anymore because God's talking and that's scary and we might just all burn up. But you go up on the mountain. And God calls Moses up and he gives him the Ten Commandments at this same time. Okay, you still with me? Still with me? And so this holiday is the celebration of Pentecost. You can see it pretty clearly, right? And so when we read about the story in Acts 2... We have to recognize that Luke wants us to know that that is happening on the day when they celebrate God's presence showing up on Mount Sinai and Him presenting the law to the people. You with me? So you say, okay, that's fine, but what's the big deal? I mean, so what? Luke wants us to see that. That's great, but that doesn't have any bearing on my life, right? Let me just read you some of the traditions that had developed in those thousands of years in between the book of Acts and and when God showed up on that mountain. First thing, and this is a quote, God's voice as it was, God's, excuse me, God's voice as it was uttered split up into 70 voices in 70 languages so that all the nations could understand. And this is a modern day rabbi speaking, talking about the traditions of the Jewish people, but, but here's another thing that's really important for us to hear. An occasion of the giving of the Torah, which happened at Mount Sinai, the children of Israel not only heard the Lord's voice, but actually saw the sound waves as they emerged from the Lord's mouth. They visualized them as a fiery substance. Each commandment that left the Lord's mouth traveled around the entire camp and then to each Jewish Jew individually asking him, Do you accept upon yourself this commandment with all the halakot, which means Jewish law, pertaining to it? Every Jew answered yes. After each commandment, finally the fiery substance which they saw engraved itself on tablets. This comes from a tradition out of Exodus 20.18 where, where some take it to be translated as they saw the voice of God. Are you hearing this? Do you, can you see the connection? Let me, maybe you're not seeing the connection. Let me, let me read to you again Acts 2.1-4 given what I just said. These Jewish people had a tradition. That when they celebrated Pentecost, what they were celebrating was God showing up on Mount Sinai. And they believed that when God spoke from that mountain, it went out into every language for the entire world so that everybody had the ability to accept the law. And they also believed that the the voice of God was quite literally visible to the people on that day in fire. And here's Acts 2, 1 through 4, thousands of years later. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Pay very close attention. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. See that connection? I mean, Luke wants us to hear quite clearly that God is duplicating in the beginning of the church what He did for the Israelite nation thousands of years before. 
It's a pretty big deal. And so you say, well, well, what did he do really when he showed up on that mountain? Well, first of all, God made them a people. He said, look, you are no longer just a, a group of, of individuals. You are no longer just, you know, kind of a, a, a people that are connected through blood. But I am going to make you a holy nation. And so he organizes them and makes them a real people in a nation that still exists today. Another thing that he does is he gives them the law. Now, we underestimate this because we have lots of laws, right? We don't even know all the laws that we have in this country. But, but when God showed up on Mount Sinai, it was, it was at the time when our world was trying to figure out law in general. I mean, can, think about that, right? I mean, people were, were sitting around going, what's a good law? I mean, what, what should we enforce and what should we not enforce? And so the countries around the Israelite people are trying to figure out what it means to create a law and laws for a country. But the Israelites, God, shows up and, say, and says, here, here's a law. This is exactly what I want for you. And so they don't have to sit around trying to, to figure out what's a good and bad law through philosophy or through trial and error because their God was gracious enough to present the law to them quite clearly and quite out loud. And so the, the Jewish people, if you read through the Old Testament, they don't go, oh man, God put these laws into existence. I can't believe I have to follow these things. When you read the Old Testament, they, they look at the law and they go, man, how gracious is our God to have presented us with the law. You read Psalm 119 and it's all about the laws of God and how wonderful they are. And I like some of the Bible, and, and I think, wow, like that's fun to read. But they looked at the laws, and they said, oh man, he told me not to commit adultery. What an awesome God that we have. Because those laws were not in existence, and people didn't understand them before. And the third thing that God did, and this is the most important for us today, is that God, in creating that nation and giving them the law, also provided to them access in a very a very nuanced way to his presence see the israelite people on that day experienced god's presence in a way that they had never experienced it before and that carries on throughout their history you look at the story and what happens next god says to moses in Exodus chapter 33, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. And then in verse 33, Moses responds, and he says, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Now watch what God says back, okay? My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. He says, hey, strengthen us. And God says, my presence will go with you. And now Moses' answer back to God is, is just incredible, and it tells you what, what really the, the Israelite people saw as, an, as the most important thing to their nation. Moses says, if your presence does, presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people, unless you go with us, what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? He says there is one thing that makes us a special nation. There is one thing that distinguishes us from every other nation on earth, and that is that you offer us 
your presence in a very real and tangible way. She's like, hey, God, you can send us, but you have to go with us. It's really cool because God says, okay, I will. And he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build a, build a tent structure. And as you travel around in the wilderness, I will manifest my presence in very clear ways in that tent structure as your people gather. And then as the people go into the land that God had promised and they settle there, God says, well, I don't need a tent structure anymore. I need a permanent home. He says, hey, I want you to build me a house. And so the people build the temple. And when they gather, God manifests himself in a very real and powerful way at that temple. And so the Jewish people are separated by the fact that God makes his presence known in their midst. Let me take this a step further for you. That day at Sinai, as the people looked back on it, became known as the day of the assembly. The day of the assembly. So when the Jewish people, the Israelite nation, looked back on that day at Sinai, what they saw as as important was the fact that they gathered. And throughout the Old Testament, we see that same thing. When God's people gather, God shows up in ways that He does not show up otherwise. When God's people gather, they all of a sudden are falling on their knees in worship because they recognize that they are unworthy to stand up in the presence of God. When God's people show up together, God says, hey, go out and fight that, that land. I want you to take it. Or go out and do this. Or don't go to that war. He speaks to them in very clear very good ways when they gather together. Now here's the crazy part. It's going to be mind-blowing for you unless you've heard me talk about it before. That word for assembly, when it was translated into Greek by Greek-speaking Jewish people, the word that they used for assembly was the Greek word ekklesia. And the Greek word ekklesia is the word that you may know as the word church. See, the people that are living when Acts 2 happens know exactly what is taking place. God is making us a people. He is making us a people by by giving us His laws. And He is making us a people so that we can have relationships. And He is making us a people that get to experience His presence especially when we gather. And you notice in Acts 2, 42-47, when Luke gives like the first picture of church, those three things are just at the heart of it. I mean, the law of God and the relationships that come through it as God makes them a people and the presence of the Lord are just central to everything that Luke describes about what was good in the early church. Acts 2, 42-47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see it? In the very earliest moments of church, they're focused on learning the will of God because they have it in a new way through the Spirit and what the Spirit is telling them and the the words that the Spirit is providing in the New Testament. 
And they're focused on the relationships that they have together because they realize that while they were once not a people, now they are a people because God has brought this new thing into the world. And they're focused on gathering together because they believe that that is where God will manifest His presence most clearly. And throughout the New Testament, as you read, God continues to to make these things important that I've just mentioned. And the truth is, at Creekside, we've designed our church based on this. I mean, our church, if you ask what passage of Scripture it's most clearly designed around, it's, it's, it's Exodus 19. You're probably not going to find another church who says that. And, and Acts 2, because it's duplicated there. We think, hey, we need to follow the commands of God because we want the presence of God to show up in our midst. And so, so our tagline really says it all, but the first thing we want from people is, is we want people to believe that Jesus is their Savior. You say, well, how does that fit with everything that you just said? Well, here's the deal. God was unable to come into the presence of sinful people. In fact, He has the people cleanse themselves before He shows up in Exodus 19 on that mountain. And in the New Testament, He, he offers us a, a better way of cleansing, and that is through coming in the, in the person of Jesus Christ and dying for the sins of everybody so that if they accept that gift and give their lives to Him, then they may be cleansed of those sins and come into the presence of God. Without believing in Jesus and what He did on a cross to save you from your sins, you cannot truly enter the presence of the Lord. And you cannot truly be a part of church. And so we want people to believe and we want to help people believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. And the second thing that we want from people is to gather. We think this is a pretty big deal what we do here because we believe this is where God will most clearly show Himself. And you say, Chad, isn't God everywhere? Yes. God is everywhere, that is true. But God shows up in a special and unique way when His people gather. How often when you're worshiping God in the quietness of your heart sitting at Starbucks do you throw your hands up in the air because you sense Him so strongly? Not very often, right? How often do you see people get down on their knees, which happens here sometimes because they sense the presence of God so strongly when they're walking down the road? Not very often. How often... Does a pastor preach a sermon to you? And you say to him, Hey, it was really great when you said... And he says to you, I promise you I never said those words. It happens here in this congregation because we're gathering in the presence of God. And so we think that this gathering is pretty important, not because we want to have high numbers, but because we believe the presence of God exists here in a way that is special and unique. And the next thing we want people to do is to connect. You've heard the tagline, right? And I've begged you to get into a connect group. It's not for no reason. It's because when the church came, it, it allowed for us to have deeper, more godly, more loving, more important relationships than we could have ever had before. He offered something in the church that was far beyond what we as Gentiles could have before as far as relationships go. And so we've designed our connect groups around that that we want people to have a deeper, more, more loving, more important connection to one another because it's possible given the fact that the Holy Spirit has come upon us and created this thing called the church. And so we don't have connect groups that, 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 we, that we sing to Jesus and things like that because we believe that's here where that happens, where, where God is showing up and we want to express ourselves to Him. But in our connect groups, we want people to connect to each other because that's a major benefit in the church. 
When people look at the church, it, it's crazy that they look at it and say, oh, it's a social club or it's a great activity center and when we have kids someday, we'll get them involved because it's a fun place for them to go, right? You hear these things. I've actually heard these things. I have conversations like that. But when you look at what God did in Acts 2, how it was a representation of what He did for the Israelite nation, you can't help but see that the church is far more important than something that offers recreation. It's a place where we can experience the presence of God. It's a place where, where we can learn to follow the will of God. And it's a place where we can develop relationships that go beyond any relationship that we can have outside of church. It's sad to me that so many people will just ignore the church's birthday. And so many other people who recognize, hey, it's Pentecost, will go, well, that's nice, the church came, and not make a big deal out of it in their hearts. The church is the most important organization that exists on this planet. It is the conduit of the presence of God, and it is the place where people can learn to fulfill the will of God, and it is the place where real relationships can happen. And so today what I want from you is, is not a better celebration. You can eat your cake and have fun, and I hope that, that we do have fun kind of thinking about that afterwards, but that's not what I want from you. What I want for you is for you to take advantage of every aspect that the church brings into your life. And you may say, well, I am. I believe, and I'm here, so I'm gathering, and I'm connected because I'm in a connect group. Well, this is what I want from you then. I want you to be excited about that. I want you to look at this gathering and say, oh, I don't, I, I, I don't just have to get up and go to church at 9 in the morning, I get to go where God is going to show Himself to me in ways that He will not the rest of the week. I want you to be passionate about the fact that church exists. And I want you to share that passion with other people. And say, look, church is not just some social club. It's something that is life-changing because it, it brings to us the presence of God and it brings to us the will of God and it brings to us relationships that are godly and wonderful. I believe that our church is shrinking. Not this church, but the church in America is shrinking because people look at it as a social club. There's plenty of better options if you want recreation. There's plenty of better options. And it is my hope and my goal and, and something that I'm pretty passionate about that we will never become the church that is just more fun than other churches because that's not what it's about. The Holy Spirit did not descend in flaming tongues so that we could have more fun. It came so that we could have deeper relationships and so that we could know the will of God and so that we could experience His presence on a consistent basis as we gather. Will you pray with me? Lord, I'm sorry for how we so often diminish the gift that is church, Lord. Um, we look at church as something that we have to do when really it was the greatest present that you could have given us, Lord. So God, I just recognize that in, in front of you, that, that Lord, it was an awesome gift and, and I am thankful for it and I, I hope that our people are thankful for it, God. Lord, to think that, that you created this nation, Israel, 
thousands of years ago, but then you, you duplicated that so that the whole world could have those same benefits that they had is, is just incredible, God. And so today as we celebrate Pentecost and what you did when you came down here, God, to start your church, your ecclesia, your assembly, I just pray that, that we would become more passionate about it moving forward. And Lord, instead of seeing church as something that we need to get through, we'd see church as something that we get to do. And we would take advantage of every aspect that it brings, Lord. God, I pray for Creekside, and you know we're trying, Lord, that we would be a church that fulfills your will for church. That we would be a church that, that looks at the commands that you have given in, in, in your word, and, and we would do them, God, knowing that it is for our benefit. And, and God, knowing that that, Lord, if we are not willing to be obedient, then, then we're probably not going to experience the things that we want as a church in, in the ways that we want to experience them. And, and so I pray that we would be an obedient church to you because we recognize, God, how great the gift of church is. Lord, I just thank you for sending your Spirit upon us. And I pray that, that you would do that again for us, Lord. Strengthen this church, God, by the power of your Spirit, Lord. God, we're doing our best, but Lord, we recognize that it is only through your grace and your power that this church will be everything that we believe you want it to be. And so we pray that you would descend upon us, Lord, in new and fresh ways, every day, every week, Lord. And we pray these things in your name, by your power. Amen.